Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Amen. Well, it's a blessing to be here with you all uh, this morning. As Kent said, I go by aunt. Uh, I serve as a pastor of a, a smaller church in, in Columbia, South Carolina, excuse me, called Midtown Two Notch, uh, where we target uh, impoverished communities along Two Notch Road uh, in Columbia, South Carolina. I'm good friends with, uh, with your pastors here. I'm always grateful that they uh, continue to invite me back. They invite me back every year. I assume I'm not doing too bad. I keep getting invitations. So uh, as long as they could, as long as I guess I continue to do that, y'all see me again next year. Uh, very grateful once again to be here. If you got a Bible, go ahead and turn to Psalm 142. I'll meet you there in a minute. Again, Psalm 142. Uh, to kind of get into our topic today, I want to start by acknowledging uh, that in our world, even just even if you just search the headlines over the last few weeks, in our world we have so much to grieve. We have so much to be sad about. There's so many awful, awful tragedies that are on the forefront of many of our minds even today. On May 14th, there was a mass shooting in Buffalo, New York, at a supermarket. Ten people were killed and three other people were injured. The shooter even live-streamed part of the attack. The the 18-year-old was taken into custody and charged with first-degree murder. One day later, May 15th, in Laguna Woods, California, there was a mass shooting at the Irvin Tamanese, excuse me, Presbyterian Church. In the middle of their Sunday worship service, one person was killed and five others were injured four of them critically injured. In Uvalde, Texas, on May 24th, there was an 18-year-old who fatally shot 19 students, two teachers, and wounded 17 other people at Robb Elementary School. A A couple days before that, on May 22nd, the Southern Baptist Convention releases a report including emails, documents, interviews, and more providing evidence of numerous instances where Southern Baptist leaders were intentionally hiding, dismissing, and mishandling reports of sexual abuse within the church. When we are suffering, when we see so many things that we are able and have reason to grieve in our lives, does our faith, does our risen Lord Jesus have anything to offer us? Is our faith only useful to us in times of rejoicing? Is our faith only useful for us in times when things are good? Or do we have a faith that is able to anchor us in difficult times, in times of grief, times of mourning? Are we those as Christians that's just supposed to put on our good Christian faces when things aren't going well and just tell everyone that we're fine and everything's okay when we're broken inside, when the world around us is broken and we're feeling the effects of that. If you're like me, maybe you grew up in the church and you heard a lot of Christian cliches whenever you were asked how you were doing. Oh, I'm doing all right. Oh, I can't complain. I'm fine. You know, just busy. I know it's good to celebrate the blessings that God has given us, obviously, but, but does being a Christian mean I have to pretend like everything is going well 
all of the time. I want to make one point today. My, my aim is very singular with you this morning. The point that I want to make today is that the Christian who walks with God personally and faithfully is more equipped and empowered to deal with the troubles of this life and difficult times than anyone else. I want to say that again. The point that I want to make to you today is that the Christian who walks with God personally and faithfully is more equipped and empowered to deal with difficult and troubling times in this life than anyone else. So in a moment, we'll be getting into Psalm 142. Uh, this is a psalm of lamentation. And as we go through it, we'll be focusing on this, con this concept of biblical lament. So that'll be a term I use a good bit. So when I say lament, what I mean is the expression of sadness and sorrow. Just to give you a simple definition of what I mean when I use this term, the expression of sadness and sorrow. So this is a psalm of David as we continue in this, this character study on, on David in the Bible. David was a lot of things. David was a leader. David was a warrior. David was a, a king. David was a man after God's own heart. David was also a musician and a poet. Uh, you could say that he was a singer-songwriter. I love the complexity of David. I appreciate that laugh in the back. I love the complexity of David, that he was a warrior, he was strong, he led men into battle and won against threat to God's people, and also he was a, a poet that poured out his heart and his emotions in his writings, and we see this time and time again in the Psalms. And I believe that what we'll see from David's writings, specifically in Psalm 142, I believe we'll find truth that will empower us to walk in what I want to refer to as emotional wholeness. I believe we'll find truth to empower us to be able to walk in emotional wholeness. So in Psalm 142, if you've been with the series, then you're probably already familiar with this story. David is hiding from Saul. Saul is the king of Israel at this point. He is hunting David down. He is jealous of David. He's, he's afraid David's going to take his throne away from him. David is in a cave, and while he's in this cave, we get insight into what he was feeling and how he was doing and even how he communicates with God, and this is a psalm that he wrote during that time, Psalm 142, beginning at verse 1. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. We're going to come back to that part of verse 2. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the paths where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. In this psalm and many other psalms, we see David processing his emotions to God. We see David processing his emotions to God. When I say, when I refer to processing emotions, here's what I mean. Appropriately acknowledging, experiencing, and expressing our emotions. Appropriately acknowledging experiencing and expressing our emotions. Processing our emotions is accepting life as it actually is. It's not pretending that life is different than, than the way that it currently is, but, but experiencing life as it truly comes to us. Processing one's emotions is accepting the reality, oftentimes difficult realities, and being able to feel and respond and adjust accordingly, accordingly to what we're feeling. Ever since Adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there has been pain and suffering in this life. For everyone who lives, there is suffering, there is pain, there is difficulty, there is trouble. 
There's sadness. There is grief. God promised that that would be the case as a result of their sin, and that is our experience. And if we're going to live in this world with so much hurting, with so much brokenness, with the headlines that we have seen and felt the pain from just over the last week or two, we must know how to adequately, how to appropriately deal with what we will feel in these difficult and painful times that we are in. And this is what we see David doing in Psalm 142, verses 1 through 4. He is processing these emotions. He's verbalizing them to the Lord. Am I in? Sorry. In verse 2, he says that he is pouring out his complaint to God, telling God all of his troubles. In verse 4, we see his honesty with God as he talks about how lonely he is and how there is no refuge for him. This term refuge refers to a safe place. Your refuge is what you go to when you, when you feel maybe insecure, maybe when you feel lost, when you feel afraid, when you feel troubled. Your refuge is a safe place that you run to. And David, as he is hiding in this cave, he's trying to find safety from Saul, who is trying to kill him. He says that there's no safe place for him. He's running away from the king and his army. He says, there's no refuge for me. There's no safe place for me. He doesn't have anywhere where he can go where he feels secure and safe, and he feels all alone. Maybe you've been there before as well. Or maybe there was something that worries you or troubled you, or maybe something that you were afraid of, and you felt like it was escapable. No matter where you go, no matter where you try to run to or what you try to run to, there's no way to get away from this thing. Maybe you've tried a number of things to find some sort of peace of mind, but there's nowhere you can go to find it. And we see David processing the same complaints and feelings in his prayer life. And so the opposite of processing emotions would be to suppress our emotions to suppress them. And I will define that as when we, don't, when we don't appropriately acknowledge, experience, and express our emotions. When we don't appropriately acknowledge them or, ex- or allow ourselves to fully experience them and feel them and express them. We often suppress our painful emotions. And when we do this, suppressing emotions is actually the practice of living a lie. It's the practice of living as if the world is not the way it actually is. It's the process of living as if, as if there is no curse on this world because of sin, as if there's not brokenness and suffering around every turn. It's not allowing ourselves to live fully as humans because we're afraid to acknowledge the reality of pain and suffering in the human experience. It is, at its core, an attempt to create a reality where you live in a world that is free of pain, sorrow, and grief. It often looks like us finding ways to distract ourselves from our problems or numb ourselves from our hurts or, or maybe, maybe to, to stop the tears from flowing. Maybe there's a, a, a situation in your life or something that's happened to you or maybe something that's happened in a, in a loved one and any time thoughts of that thing comes down and you, maybe you feel the tears begin to well up in your eyes and you, think on, you begin to think on different things or you want to change the subject. This often looks like us finding ways to shut down the conversation anytime someone brings up something that reminds us of our past hurts. It's actually a misguided attempt to escape or reverse the curse of sin. It's an attempt to save ourselves from the brokenness of this world. It's us trying to bring heaven to earth in our own strength, trying to create a reality and a place 
of what is truly real, or excuse me, trying to create a false reality while living in a place that is truly real with suffering. It's pretend. And we do this because our hurts, because dealing with hurt and sorrow is difficult. It's painful. It's, it, oftentimes it's terrifying to revisit painful experiences, to think about sometimes when maybe someone abandoned you or to or move or dive into feelings that you felt when you lost a loved one. Processing our emotions, it's important, but it's difficult. It's necessary to pursue emotional wholeness, but it's painful as well. And it makes sense to us that it would be painful and we'd have to find ways to cope with the, with the losses in our lives because we weren't, this world was not designed to be this way. This is not what we were created for. God created this world good, free of pain and suffering and harm. And we have to learn how to deal with the consequences of sin in this world. And to make matters worse, many of us have even been told by potentially leaders in the church, I know not leaders here, that if we really had faith in God, we wouldn't be depressed. That the Bible tells us to rejoice in the Lord, so if we're truly rejoicing and having joy, then, then you wouldn't be feeling this way. In an attempt to try to encourage the followers of God to, to, to run to him, to seek him, to find joy in him, we've actually hindered our abilities to walk in emotional wholeness. We've led God's people to live in denial of our troubles and struggles and grief, which is actually perpetuating the problem. And pretty much any therapist or psychologist or psychiatrist that I've talked to or, or read from agree that suppressing and ignoring and being in denial of our emotions is very harmful, oftentimes destructive even. I'm not saying that you have to think about your grief and your pain and your sadness every moment of the day. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying if we don't think about them at all, but I'm saying that if we refuse to allow ourselves to feel the realities of a broken world, then we are hindering and standing in the way of our own emotional wholeness. I read an article years ago uh, from a professor of psychology at James Madison University. He said that essentially emotions serve to give us information about our needs and about our goals and desires. That they give us feedback about what's going on in our lives. So, for example, if you had a desire for a long-term relationship with someone and ended up not happening, you would have some type of emotion that gave you feedback about what happened in your pursuit of that. He made the point that suppressing our negative emotions and our painful emotions, I should say, like sadness, anger, fear, etc., oftentimes cause us to be more easily triggered into having sudden, uncontrolled emotional outbursts or episodes at random times. So I'll try to give you an example. He, he explained that, like, um, uh, I, don't, I don't know what, how you guys responded um, when you were younger, uh, maybe, and your parents told you to clean your room. Here's what I did. Here's what I did. I looked around my room. Got a closet over there. Got some drawers over here. I got a bed that's enough inches off the ground for me to slide a few things under there. Because generally speaking, when my parents come in, they're going to stand in the doorway, look in the room, see how things are going, and let me know whether or not my room was clean enough or not. So I got real good at stuffing stuff into the closet. Got real good at shoving things under my bed. I wasn't actually dealing with the mess appropriately. Wasn't actually handling it the way that I should. Instead, I was, I was hiding it and just pretending that it wasn't there. 
But then at some point, if that door gets open, at some point you pull that drawer open and you find that the mess that you were trying to hide and get rid of is actually still there. That it actually wasn't being dealt with in the first place. And oftentimes in our relationships with loved ones, we have these indicators, oh, you just stuffed that away. Maybe, maybe you had a relationship with someone, a very meaningful relationship with a loved one, and there was hurt that you have felt in that relationship, but you just tried to ignore it and pretend that like it wasn't there and not do anything about it. But then you get into another conversation, another conversation, and the hurt bills and bills and bills, and the next thing you know, you're snapping at someone you really, truly care about. And you're lashing out in anger against someone you really, truly care about because now the closet has swung open. And you can no longer hide the feelings that you have. When we don't process our emotions, it does damage to us and often to those that we love. It does damage to us. And I want to read verse 5, but first I want to let me, let me tell you what my goal is for the rest of the sermon. I want to lay before us from the Word of God how our God, how our faith in Him actually empower us to process our negative emotions or our painful emotions in a way that's unlike anything that anyone outside of our faith has. When the Christian walks in faith in Christ, he empowers us to be able to process our emotions appropriately. Verse 5, here's what David has to say. This is where he seems like he makes his turn. I cry to you, O Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. David, just like us, has many things that are troubling him. We read about them in the first four verses, even to the point where he says, I have no refuge. He has many things that are troubling him. He has the brokenness of this world. He has people, the people who are supposed to be serving him, actually hunting him down to try to kill him. He has his fear. He has uncertainty. He has loneliness. He has very real danger. He says he has no place on this earth that he can go where he is truly safe, but he also has a refuge, he says. David cries to the Lord because he knows that his refuge is a person and not a place. His refuge isn't somewhere that he goes. His refuge is the one who is with him wherever he goes. David says that God is his refuge, and he's running to that refuge as he pours his heart out to God in prayer. As he pours out his complaint to God, he is running to his refuge. Y'all, I think my children taught me about what it is to have a refuge more than anything else. I remember even when my, my oldest sons were, were, were very young, someone might come to the house that they didn't know that they weren't comfortable with. And they would, I mean, almost instinctively, they would just run behind my leg. They would come to the door. Who's at the door? See who it is. Don't recognize them. Run behind my leg. <laughs> Here's the powerful thing about this to me. Two things. Number one is it was instinctive for them. It was instinctive. I don't even think they had to think about what they were doing. They knew where they felt comfort. They knew where they felt safe, and they just ran to it instinctively. I found that to be very powerful. The other thing that I found to be very powerful about what they were doing is that them coming to me didn't actually get rid of the problem. It didn't get rid of the thing that was scary to them. It didn't get rid of the thing that made them feel uncomfortable, but it gave them a sense of peace in, in the presence of the thing that made them uncomfortable. It gave them a sense of peace and protection without actually taking the problem away, without actually taking the thing that they were worried about away. That's what a refuge is. 
It's a place where you can go to, or as, as David is teaching us here, it is the one that we can go to in the middle of the problem. Because I know oftentimes we want to pray for God to change things, and that is great, and we should continue to do that. But one of the promises that God gives us also is that he is a refuge in the middle of the trouble. That he's the refuge in the middle of the problem. This is who our God is. He is near. He desires to be with us. Saints in the room, I hope you know the peace of God that comes from running to him in the middle of difficulty, in the middle of trouble, in the middle of fear, in the middle of your worry. The apostle Peter leads us in this direction in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, where he reads, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That word anxieties can be also translated cares. Casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Trusting in his love for you, trusting in his care for you to the point where we bring all of our concerns, all of our worries, all of our anxieties to him and lament to the Lord. In another psalm that David wrote, Psalm 68, sorry, Psalm 62, verse 8, I should say, David writes, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a, a refuge for us. If you told me, hey, take this cup and pour it out in the sink, my understanding of what you would be saying would be to empty that cup, to pour it all out. And David is encouraging the people of God here that because God is a refuge for us, because God is a safe place for us, empty your heart to him. Pour it all the way out. Whatever you find in there, whatever cares are in there, give all of them to God. Pour out your heart before him. He is a refuge to us. He's reminding us that because God is our safe place, we bring all of our troubles, all of our cares, all of our worries to him. If you have painful feelings and emotions that you haven't allowed yourself to acknowledge, experience, and express, that tells me something about you that you may not have thought about. It tells me that your prayer life is very superficial. I'll say that again. If you have feelings, emotions, worries, cares that you have not allowed yourself to experience, that you have not allowed yourself to even acknowledge, it tells me that your prayer life is superficial. We've seen from, the, from what Peter had to say and what David had to say, what God calls us to, what God desires for our prayer life to be, amongst other things, is us emptying out our hearts before him. And if we don't acknowledge what's actually going on in our hearts, if we don't allow ourselves to experience the troubles that are actually, that we are feeling, that we're stuffing away in the closet, it causes your prayer life. Your prayer life can be extremely wide. There can be many things that you say, but it will be lacking in depth. Because what God calls us to is to pour out our hearts to him. So then we as Christians, I believe if we've grown up or we've developed the tendency to not acknowledge what is going on with us, we need, to, we need to understand that not only does it cause us sometimes to be triggered more easily, but it hinders us in our prayer life and in our, in our experience of our union and our fellowship with God. Because he desires a relationship with us that is, that is so near and so dear that we share with, we vent our, our frustrations, our pains, our difficulties to him. This is what he desires for us to be able to experience and enjoy in a difficult world with pain and hurt and harm that we experience and that we see others experience as well. 
One of the things about the Psalms, I don't know if y'all have scriptures that make y'all uncomfortable. Sometimes the Psalms make me real uncomfortable. Sometimes I see the psalmist expressing things to God that I'm like, I, I, I don't even know if this is okay to say to anybody, much less to God. I mean, you see the psalmist sometimes praying for God to bring justice by killing and destroying their enemies. You see the psalmist going to God, questioning God, questioning God's faithfulness, questioning whether or not God is still there. God desires for us to bring all of it to him, the anger, the frustration, the doubt, the pain, the hurt, the, the, everything that you feel. He's desiring for you to bring it all to him. We see this model time and time again in the Psalms. He doesn't want you to pretend you're not feeling something that you're actually feeling and thinking. Side note, he knows already. He's aware. You're not hiding anything from him. He doesn't want empty cliches. He knows what's in your heart. He wants you to pour it out to him. If there's hatred in your heart, tell him that. If you have a sinful desire for revenge in your heart, tell him that. If you're bitter towards your parents, your spouse, your children, your siblings, any other loved ones, tell him that. If you don't know how you're going to make it through and you're actually doubting that he's with you and you're doubting that he's able to carry you through it, tell him that. Bring that to him. Bring your lament to God and pour out your heart to him. Peter instructs in the verse we read a few minutes ago to cast all of our cares on him, every single one of them. This means if your prayer life is to be all that God desires it to be, you have to be allowing yourself to acknowledge and experience and express the full spectrum of your emotions to God. And look at what David said in verse 2. He said, I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. David says, I complain to God. I complain to God. I heard a pastor say one time, that a, a complaining Christian is just a Christian with a misguided prayer life. A complaining Christian is a Christian with a misguided prayer life. Anything that you might be complaining to your loved ones to about, maybe those in your life group, I just want to ask you, have you already gone to God about those things? Have you already complained to God? Have you brought your complaint and laid it before him? I truly believe that often us will complain a lot less if our prayer life was what God intended for it to be. That we will do much less complaining about the circumstances in our life if we process those things with our Lord. We can't have this rich prayer life that he desires us to have if we continue to suppress our, our emotions. God is a friend to his people. Our relationship with him is the most important relationship that, that anyone can have. And he wants, he wants you to have a relationship with him such that he's your person, right? He's the one that you go to. He's the one that you vent to. He's the one that you bring your full self to time and time again. In times of celebration when we praise and thank God and in times of, of pain and suffering and grief when we lament to him. He is your companion. He is your refuge throughout all of life's experiences if you are a follower of his. And here's something I know about us as people. I talked about what my children do when they are uncomfortable around someone or something, how they instinctively run to me. Here's what I know about us as people. We all have different things that we consider to be our refuge. 
You do not exist in a world as broken as this one and not have something that you run to to cope with it all. You have something that you lean on, that you try to go to to try to find peace of mind in some way. We all do. It is a product of living in such a broken world. Our souls desire to have peace and some kind of solace. We all have refuges that we run to. And if it's not God, then it's completely insufficient and inadequate. We all have ways of trying to deal with the grief and pain and heartache of life. For some of us, we're looking for something to make us feel good. I don't think many of us understand what gluttony truly is. Gluttony is not having, enjoying a feast. God ordained feasts for his people. When he blessed them with plenty and abundance, he, he ordained them to have feasts and celebrated. Jesus even taught on how to have a good feast and who to invite to your feast. There's nothing wrong with enjoying an abundance of food and giving thanks to God because of it. My belief is that gluttony is actually something a lot deeper. When food becomes your God, when food becomes your refuge, when food becomes where you run to instinctively before even running to God to find some type of solace in this life. God is not against feasting. God is against idolatry and finding food to be our refuge. Some of us run to social media or just anything on the Internet. So many of us, when we get a quiet moment or a little break, this is not, I wouldn't say this is for everyone, but for many of us, when, every time we get a quiet moment, we actually run to social media. We run to some type of device because we actually don't want to feel. We don't want to feel, and if I can just put my mind on these different images or whatever it is that's moving on my screen, then I don't have to sit with what's going on in my reality at the time. So when we're stressed out, when we're anxious, when we're sad, when we just feel like we need a boost, we just scroll the internet to find something to elevate us just a little bit. Oftentimes, I believe we're unaware that we're grabbing the screen because we're running from our grief and our pain. One of the biggest lies that the enemy feeds us is that sex is the best way to deal with pain. That I'll feel this rush, I'll feel this pleasure. I've seen so many, particularly in my conversations with, with, with younger men, that a lot of times actually what they run to when they're looking at pornographic images and things of that nature is actually running away from something. It's actually trying to escape. It's actually trying to feel good in the midst of the difficulty and pain of life. Or oftentimes maybe we just look for something to distract us. I know for me, when I, when I heard about the shootings at first that I listed earlier, I just didn't want to think about it. I just literally, someone texted me, what were your thoughts on it? And I was like, not right now. Not right now. I wanted to put my mind on other things. I wanted to distract myself from this. Sometimes we use busyness as a distraction. For some, for some of us, the unprocessed sadness and grief remains unprocessed because we intentionally fill our schedules. We continue to, to, to make sure we're, we're always busy so we don't have to sit and feel and deal with the realities of life. We just keep jamming things into the closet. So if we stop, maybe we'll feel the brokenness and the heartache and the sadness. Sometimes we run to entertainment. You have shows maybe on Netflix, Hulu, or whatever. Maybe it's video games or whatever it might be for you. Where we just find something to fill the time from when we get home from work and when we go to sleep so we don't actually have to stop and realize and think about all the brokenness. 
But for some of us, we move to different things to try to numb us. Maybe it's not as much just distracting us, not, not just distraction, but actually numbing. I believe this is a lot of the reason many of us go to substance abuse. Oftentimes when someone uses, abuses alcohol, or I should say abuses alcohol or drugs, we, we look at the substance abuse oftentimes as the problem, when in reality there was a problem before that problem. There was a problem underneath the substance abuse problem, and the substance abuse is a means of trying to cope with the real problem. Or sometimes we just live in denial. I'm just going to pretend that things are better. I'm going to pretend that things aren't actually the way that they are. Maybe you grew up and you were just told, hey, you just need to man up. Or you just need to be strong. Or you just need to be able, you just need to deal with it. You just, or, or maybe, no, you're okay, everything's fine. And so we live in denial. I wonder what you've done recently Maybe when there are different things in your life that have been difficult, that have been painful, that have been hard to deal with. Or maybe when you saw some of the headlines that I mentioned a little bit earlier. I wonder if there's anything specific that you ran to, any, any false savior or any insufficient refuge that you ran to in those times. I wonder if you tried not to feel. I wonder if you suppressed your emotions when God desires us to cast our cares on him. I imagine there are some of us in the room who maybe don't even know where to start. How, how do I do this? How do I grow in processing my emotions to the Lord? I'm going to try to give you something that's been helpful for me that we've used a number of times in my family, even with my children. Uh, this is a thing called a feelings wheel. I don't know if you, you guys have heard of this before. It essentially is a diagram that has a lot of different emotions on it that, that helps me to even know what I'm feeling. Oftentimes I don't even know exactly what it is that I'm feeling in the moment, but just seeing the words laid out and spelled out there for me helps me to know what it is that I'm feeling. And you can find those at feelingswheel.com, but I'll also put a link to it in the sermon notes that you can find uh, on the sermon page for this as well. But the reason I found this, one of the things that has been very beneficial for me and helpful for me personally is to be able to use a tool or a resource like that. And this is what I would encourage you to do, to do or at least consider doing. Is prayerfully just look through the different emotions that you see there and asking God to reveal to you, are there any of these emotions that, I am, that, that are there, that are present with me, that I just pushed away in the closet, that I just slid under the bed? And as you do so, as you notice different emotions that you have, just maybe create a prayer journal. Maybe write some of them down. Maybe you just use shorthand and you just refer to those and you just pray to God, God, I'm feeling this. I'm feeling this anger. I can't believe that this person did this. I feel so betrayed. I feel so alone. I feel like I'm in need of, of support around me. I know for myself, writing it out like that causes me to have to think a little bit more deeply about it, which helps me to actually process what I'm doing. And I'll say this, and I don't know if this is the case for, for, for everyone else or anyone else. For me, when I have done that, those have been the times in my life where prayer was more free-flowing and natural. Those are the times in my life when I've lost track of time the most in praying to God. Because I find that it's, it's, it's almost like the, 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 there was a wall that was just holding everything back. And once the wall starts to come down, so many of the emotions that I had suppressed in the past just start flowing. I want to encourage you to try that. I know many of you don't like homework, but they gave me the microphone today. I want to encourage you to take time. I want to encourage you to try to make time, maybe I should say, for this. 
to use some type of resource or something that helps you to search your heart. What David is calling us to, encouraging us to do is to pour out our hearts before God. But often if we're so used to suppressing, we don't even know what's going on inside of us. I want to encourage us, for many of us, to take that step. And as you do that, here's where I want to to encourage you with two things, two truths to remember about God as we go to him to process our emotions. And the first one is that he is with you and he gets it. He is with you and he gets it. One of the most mind-blowing descriptions of God in the Bible for me is when Isaiah says that Jesus was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Man of sorrows. Is what we, he refer, is how he refers to God himself. He understands pain. He understands hurt. He understands being abandoned by those who are close to him. He understands being hurt by those who should have loved him. The irony is the enemy would have us to believe that God isn't with us when we're going through pain, when the truth is, in times of distress, no one is closer than he is. No one is closer than him. Psalm 34, 18 says this, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. I want to encourage you to not let your suffering tell you who your God is, but let God's suffering tell you who God is. And the fact that God was willing to come to the cross and suffer for us lets us know that in times of suffering, in his time of suffering, he was there for his people. And in your time of suffering and in your time of grief and in your time of pain, he is there with you. He is near the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. We want to remember that he is with us and he gets it. And I want to ask you to remember that he will return to take the pain away. Not only is he kind and caring enough to walk with us through all of our hurts and all of our grief and all of our pain, but he is also mighty enough to destroy our pains when he comes and takes us home to be with him in the next life. The heaven on earth that we are looking to create when we suppress our emotions, he's actually able to bring it and he is going to do it. He loves you enough to walk you through it. And he is powerful enough to bring it all to an end. And that is the hope that we have. And may we find strength in the hope that we have in him. And he won't just try to take it away through weak Christian cliches like just pray about it and everything will be okay. Or just by telling us to ignore the brokenness that we feel and how, how, how fallen this creation is. No, he's going to provide it by powerfully ushering in his glorious kingdom where there will be healing for the broken, where there will be relief for the hurting, where there will be tears of joy in place of tears of sadness, where there will be no more need for coping strategies or support to deal with difficult times, where there will be no more hurting or sorrow or pain anymore, where there will be no more grief, no more trauma, no more worry, because the king will have returned to take away all our lament. We lament to him in this life knowing that we will never lament again in the next. Every time we practice biblical lament in this life is one more prayer closer to the time where you'll never have to lament again. Where you'll never experience the difficulty and the pain of it again because the king will take all of our lament away. Your lament has an expiration date. I don't know when it is, you don't know when it is, but it will expire. It will not continue to harm you. I know sometimes we feel hopeless. I know sometimes it feels like it's too much. He's going to take it away. He will end it all. As a final encouragement, I want to read to us the lyrics of a song named What a Friend We Have in Jesus. It reads, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. And what a privilege to carry 
everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. Family, will you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to come together as your people, acknowledging your greatness, acknowledging that you are near, that you are here with us. Father, I pray that you would strengthen us, fill us with your spirit in such a way that we are compelled moment by moment, day in and day out, to run to you, to pour out our hearts to you, to know you as our refuge and our strength and our safe place. Father, correct us and lead us to repentance because of the ways that we have put other things over you, where we find other things to be our refuge instead of you. But lead us to a truer joy and a truer peace and a deeper relief in you and casting all our cares upon you for us in running to you as our refuge and our safe place. Father, we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.